a great little opening. Good morning. My name is Bill Buchanan, and I serve as one of the elders here at Seacoast. And uh, both Dale and Ryan are away this weekend. So while the cats are away, <laughs> forget the sermon. Let's just go out and have some. No, I'm kidding. Um, hopefully this is fun for you as well. Um, I'm very excited to be here. Uh, Dale outlined kind of this sermon series we're doing on Ephesians, and he got to this week when he realized they were both out of town and looked at the topic being on the Holy Spirit. And he knows I'm passionate to talk about the Holy Spirit. I love discussing it with other believers. And so he put down in his little outline, Bill, question mark. And so he came to me and asked me, hey, what do you think? You want to give it a try? I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> so this has been quite a week for me. Let me uh, share with you a little bit. I, um, uh, several weeks ago, um, Melinda's involved in the, the MOPS uh, ministry here and helps do some leadership with that. And they wanted to do uh, a session where a couple talked about how to flourish in your marriage during those preschool years. So she said, hey, what do you think? You want to give it a try? And I'm like, all right. So Thursday morning, I went to the cafe with about 45, 50 women uh, and Bill. <laughs> I've never done that before. It was really unique. <laughs> and guys, now I know what they talk about when they meet. Uh, it's all good. I'm really thankful they get together and talk and lock arms. And, and you know, those years, preschool years are tough years. But uh, it was neat for us to have a chance to share. And I love helping teach with Melinda. So that was one unique experience. And then leading up to this, um, it's a lot of work to put together just some notes and sermon you know, ideas. So I hope you uh, thank both Ryan and Dale occasionally for the messages they give, because there is a lot of work that goes into it. And I'm excited to talk about it. Um, but let me share with you, since we are talking about the topic of the Holy Spirit, just to give you a little background on my life. Um, I was not raised in a Christian home at all. Uh, I don't even remember going to church as a kid. Uh, my mom was married and divorced three times, and I came to faith in high school uh, through the ministry of Young Life, and then got involved in one of the campus ministries in college, and um, it just it really helped lay a, a great foundation for me in my faith. actually went on to serve uh, on the staff of uh, Campus Crusade for five years before I got into the marketplace, and now I work in the insurance world, so that's what I do by day. Um, I love serving here as an elder, and um, one of my first encounters with this uh, idea or principle in the Christian life of the Holy Spirit happened as a junior in college. I was in a Bible study uh, with uh, four four other guys that uh, were all we were all in fraternities. So Josh and I were in our fraternity, Jeff and Scott were in their fraternity, and Kenny was in his own fraternity, and. Um, uh, we were just a handful of believers in our fraternities and really wanted to have a ministry and lead a Bible study in our fraternity. So we were meeting together, going through the book of Romans, and uh, JP has since gone on to be a pastor and be actually a professor at Talbot and uh, just was so thankful that while he was going through seminary, he was helping uh, disciple us and, and shape our faith. But one of the topics we started to get onto, especially in Romans, if you've looked at Romans, is talking about the Holy Spirit. And what really... Um, impacted me was seeing my friend and brother Kenny in his fraternity and how he handled his experience in his fraternity because he was literally the only believer, at least professed believer, in his fraternity. And he had such a heart for his brothers. To He had come to faith in Christ. He wanted to share his faith with his fraternity brothers. And he was experiencing a lot of persecution and rejection and hard stuff. I mean, really hardcore stuff. And this is back way back in the 80s. Um, so one of the things I observed about Kenny is just a sense of joy, a sense of purpose. Um, I just saw God working in his life, and I, it was attractive to me 
And he always talked about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowering him, the Holy Spirit filling him. And so it, it finally, light bulb went off. I, I don't know that much about the Holy Spirit. I need to study more and understand what it means to be indwelled by the Spirit and, and be filled with the Spirit. So that started for me a journey of trying to dig into what does God's Word have to say about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? And what does it mean that he indwells us and that he empowers us to live the Christian life? That's where it started for me. And it's been a life-changing journey. Literally, the two most significant things in the Christian life in terms of theology for me has been understanding our identity in Christ, what it means to be in Christ, and how you know what I really believe about myself according to what God says is true, and the empowering of God's Spirit. And what's cool is those are major themes in the book of Ephesians. So that's what made me so excited about this opportunity to share with you this morning. So I'm going to do my best to walk through this as a novice, but let's dive in. And um, uh, let me ask you this question. When was the last time you undeniably saw the work of the Holy Spirit in or around you? Think about that for a minute. When was the last time you saw undeniably the work of the Spirit in your life. My point this morning is, is, church, we need to begin afresh at looking and examining at what God's Spirit is all about in our lives. The, the good news is the call of God on our lives is to be a Spirit-filled church. The call of God on our marriages is to be spouses who are spirit-filled. The call of God in our relationships is to be filled with his spirit. So I ask this not in a condemning way, but just in a brother-to-brother, brother-to-sister way. How's that going? How's that going with you today? How's that going with you right now? If that's the call of God on our lives, are we missing it? And if so, why? So let's take a look at this. The, we've begun this series in the book of Ephesians, and, and I'm, I asked um, Greg to read that whole chapter. It's the opening chapter of Ephesians that we've already been studying, but I know it's a little long, but I wanted to make sure we took a look at the context of what it means to be in Christ. In those first 11 verses, Paul references being in him or being in Christ or in the beloved um, nine times in 11 verses. And this Last, these last two verses, I'm sure Dale thought, what could be able to do wrong on two verses? How could he foul that up? I mean, come on. Just two verses, he wraps up this thought of being in Christ, talking about being indwelled with his spirit. So, uh, before we dive into reading it and, and looking at it a little more deeper, will you join me in a word of prayer? Well, Father, thank you. Thank you so much for the the privilege of joining together as brothers and sisters and looking at your word together, worshiping you together. Um, And we want to be changed people. We want to know what you have for us when it comes to this abundant Christian life. We want to know what it means to be in Christ and be indwelled and empowered by your spirit. And so as I uh, try to look at God's word and share what you've taught me, I pray that you would bring your word alive in our hearts as never before. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I always love to just open by reading the passage. It's just two verses. 
And this is the New American Standard. I asked Greg to read it in the New Living because it just is a nice paraphrase to kind of give it a fresh take. But in the New American Standard, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So the first thing that jumps out when you look at those two verses is what in the world does Paul mean by sealed? It's kind of a unique way to describe this relationship to the Spirit. You've been sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So just look at the progression. It says, in him, or the blessings of being in Christ, you also, thats he's referring to the Gentiles because earlier in that paragraph he's talking more to the Jews. So in him you also, meaning now he's talking to the people that are not in the family of God. After listening to the truth, that comes first. Our culture has a hard time with this idea of absolute truth. It's all relative. There's no absolute truth out there. Uh, That's just the postmodern world we live in. But Paul's describing here this absolute truth. We've heard the truth and then believed it. And they were past tense. Look at the tense of the verse. Sealed in the Spirit. Now we're going to dig into the sealing and what it means to be sealed in just a moment. But the first observation really is uh, we didn't do anything to be sealed in the Spirit other than putting our faith in Christ. It wasn't like I tried to do some supernatural thing to get indwelled with His Spirit. It's a gift. So that's the first idea. The first observation is the Holy Spirit is a gift. You have been blessed with this gift as a believer of Christ. You have been indwelled with his spirit. Throughout scripture it talks about this idea of God's spirit coming in and taking up residence in us and our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a gift. The second concept this passage reveals is the Holy Spirit is the source of true security and significance. And here's where I want to dig into what this idea of being sealed means. The Holy Spirit is my source of security first because the Holy Spirit seals me in Christ. Uh, Now that's kind of an odd way to describe it for us in our day and age, but for the folks in the original hearers world, that idea of being sealed in really spoke to them because it was common. This idea of being sealed had to do with a signet ring, putting an impression on wax, and sealing an important document or some item, giving the mark of ownership, a mark of security. So if a Roman official took a document and wanted to make sure it got to point B, they would drip the wax on it, seal it, send it off, and if that item was addressed to you with the seal from a Roman official, then you could open it. But if somebody else tried to open it, you better not break that seal. Because if you broke the seal, then you had to deal with the full authority of that Roman official. It had the mark of ownership, the mark of security in that thing. Even though it's just wax, it's just got this little impression on it, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is it was the mark of the authority and ownership of the sender. And you don't mess with it. So, as a follower of Christ, if we've been sealed in the Spirit... The Holy Spirit is the actual seal on our lives. And if you mess with the seal, you mess with the owner. And the owner is God, God Almighty. God Almighty is our owner, author of our lives. And if you mess with that seal, you mess with the Holy Spirit, 
you're messing with God Almighty. That's something you don't do. So when it comes to quenching or grieving the Spirit, you don't want to mess with that. That's serious business. One, com- one commentator describes it this way. The word seal indicates security, safety, ownership, authority. Among men, a seal signifies a finished transaction. The seal constitutes a mark of recognition. Three times in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is represented as a seal of the believer's redemption. This passage, 2 Corinthians 1.22 that you see on the screen, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Real similar language to what we're looking at in Ephesians. And then again in Ephesians 4.30, the Holy Spirit himself is the seal rather than the one who does the sealing. His very presence indwelling the believer is the sign and seal of the ultimate fulfillment of God's redemptive purpose in that individual. The seal provides security and assurance that God will fulfill his promise of redemption. Isn't that great news? Back in the Old Testament, uh, Esther chapter 8, you don't need to go there, but 8.8 says, Now you write to the Jews as you see fit in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring for a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. You get the concept? We've been sealed in the spirit. And it gives us true security and significance because of the owner of that seal. The second metaphor Paul uses for the Holy Spirit is this idea of pledge of my inheritance. Verse 14 describes the Holy Spirit as a pledge. Now what's Paul getting at using this metaphor? Um, The cool thing about studying God's word, gang, is uh, words have meaning. And as we study God's word a little deeper, you just dig a little deeper, there's so much richer meaning in it. So that's what I hope you're doing as you're um, looking at God's word yourself. But the idea of a pledge literally means an earnest or down payment. Um, so in this case, the down payment, the purchaser actually has the full payment. I don't know about you, but when you've had to put a down payment down for a house or a car or whatever it is, you usually don't have the money. You gotta, you're scraping it to get the down payment, especially in our real estate world, huh? Uh, I didn't get an amen for that at all. <laughs> Man, uh, just to get that down payment can be a stretch. And, but it's a promise that you're going to pay the full amount, right? You sign that contract that says you're going to pay it. If not, you lose the possession of whatever it was, whether it's the car or the house. In this case, the owner, he's got all the money. He's got all the resources. But for some reason, he's chosen to give us a pledge of our inheritance. We're getting the down payment on that inheritance that's due every one of us. He's got full payment waiting for us. But we get to taste and experience a little bit of that Holy Spirit, that experience of God here and now. And it helps confirm in us what is to come. So we get some of it now. We get the inheritance waiting for us later. This passage in 1 Peter you have on the screen Peter talked about, what is this inheritance? What are we talking about? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for who? For you. That's what's reserved for you and I. That's the inheritance. I don't know if any of you have experienced getting an inheritance. Um, 
we had a unique experience getting an inheritance from my grandmother when she died suddenly, and I had no idea she had any money. But every one of the grandkids got a little money, and that helped give us the money for the down payment of our first house. So it just kind of comes alive to me of, oh, it's a down payment for what's to come. And every one of you have a rich father that has an inheritance reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that great news? Amen. So, um, that's a little bit from Ephesians, but I just thought it would be good to take a minute to look at um, a few truths and promises concerning the Holy Spirit that enable us to live a supernatural life. So, uh, I've got a lot of Bible verses here, so I'm going to have you motoring through a lot, but... uh, I think it'll be helpful for all of us. I just want to highlight three of them. There, we could spend all morning looking at a lot more than this. But uh, this first one has to do with the Holy Spirit gives power. And in Ephesians 3:16, right here in this book that we're studying, um, I want to read more than just verse 16. So if you've got your Bible, flip over to the third chapter, and let's read 14 through 19. And this is Paul's prayer, but it's so rich. I want to make sure we take a little bit to look at how this Holy Spirit gives us power. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Isn't that awesome? That's so exciting to me. But look at what being strengthened with that power is all about. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you'd be grounded in love, and that you know the love of Christ. That's what the power is for. It's not so that we can just spend it on our own. I think, church, that's what we get hung up a little bit on. When we talk about the Holy Spirit being a source of power for us in the Christian life, unfortunately, I think we think of it for our own selfish needs. And here and in elsewhere, I think Scripture makes it clear that the power is so that we may come to know Christ and make him known. That's really what the power is about, because I don't know about you, it's... I need power. I need something to help me get to know God, the supernatural God of all the universe. But also, if you're going to ask me to bear witness of him to someone else, that's scary business right there. And I don't have the strength in my own. I need supernatural power to do that. And that's what I really think the whole book of Acts is about. But if you look at the beginning of the books of Acts, Acts 1.8 says, Jesus was telling his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So, um, the Holy Spirit is the power source for the Christian. So let me ask you this idea, uh, get you thinking about it this way. Uh, Let's say I came to you and I said, I just had an encounter with God and he supernaturally empowered me to play basketball. And I went out and you were on the court with me and you observed how I played basketball. Now, if you didn't see my shot really draining a lot of threes 
or you didn't see me playing just amazing defense and shutting down the best player on their team. Wouldn't that make you question my comment of, I just had this amazing encounter? So church, again, I don't lay it on you as a guilt trip, but if we tell others that we've had this encounter with God and His Spirit indwells us and they don't see a difference in our life, wouldn't that cause them to question, did you really have an encounter with God? I don't see a whole lot of difference. I mean, I like you and all, but I'm not seeing anything really that different. So, again, that brings us back to we need to just come back to God and have a sense of, God, I need a fresh encounter with you and your spirit. I need to truly understand what it means to be indwelled with your spirit and empowered by your spirit. Let's look at this next idea. The Holy Spirit guides you. John 16, 13 to 14. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, especially relating to the Holy Spirit, is John 14, 15, and 16. They call it the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus is with the disciples. He spent three years with these disciples, and before he goes to the cross, these are his last words. And it's rich with what it means to abide in Christ and the whole idea of the Spirit being left for you as your helper to empower you. 16, 13 to 14 says... But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, Christ, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has in mind, therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. He will speak what he hears from the Father. He will disclose or reveal to the disciples the things of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.12 is another great passage on this. I know I'm giving you a lot of verses this morning, but I want to encourage you to at least jot them down. You can dig in a little deeper on your own during the week. But 1 Corinthians 2.12 really speaks to the same idea. And this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, and he says, Now we have received, past tense, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. That's pretty awesome. That's why he has sealed us in his spirit. That's one of the reasons. So that he may guide us, may disclose to us what is to come. And I don't know about you, but um, could you use that? Could you use a little of God's spirit guiding you into the truth? Uh, Guiding you into what's next? Giving you wisdom so that you can discern this way or that way? Well, great news is, it's promised right here. So we're going to talk in a little bit about how do we appropriate that? How do we tap into that? Because I'm not right now. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But let's look at this next idea. The Holy Spirit produces fruit. And I'm going to take you back to that favorite passage of mine, John chapter 15. And um, rather than read the whole section, I just highlighted these three verses in John 15 that reference fruit. So let me read those to us. John 15:5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And then down in verse 8, 
my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And then you go on down to 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Uh, I'm so excited about that promise that God wants to produce fruit in me. And you say, well, what, what do you mean by fruit? Well, fruit's a lot in Scripture. You're familiar with maybe Galatians 5, 16 and 17, and then Galatians 5, 23. Galatians 5, 16 says, For I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh... Oh boy, it left me just that moment. For I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh... Oh, I've got to look at it. Sorry, I had it. It just left me, gang. I did it first service. I got it right in the first service. Anybody else have it? Have it memorized? Thank you. You, got a, you need a microphone on you, Doug. <laughs> I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let me do them again so you don't miss them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I need those things. So when, when Jesus is talking about abiding in him, abiding in Christ, he also talks about walking in the Spirit. And I really think they're interchangeable terms. Abiding in Christ and walking and living in the Spirit. And I need to experience in my life One of the areas recently for me has been self-control. Now, one thing, one area of self-control would be food. You can talk to my wife about that. Thankfully, I'm not 300 pounds, but no offense to anybody that is, but I still eat like my teenage sons, and I love to eat a lot. So I have to exercise a lot just so I can keep eating that way. But the thing that I say self-control about is because, and I just confess to you, I allow my flesh to reign when it comes to my eating habits. And I imagine some of you have experienced that as well. I don't want to get hung up on that too much, but that's just one practical area. The other really practical area for me, frankly, is self-control in the area of my management of time. As I've gotten a little bit older, I get a lot of opportunities in my leadership role in the insurance world, and uh, I, I have a really hard time saying no to good things. I just tend to say yes to everything, and then I'm overcommitted and I do it all poorly. And so I need God's supernatural power to give me self-control. And i, I got to tell you, when I come to him humbly, regularly, and say, God, I ask that you'd fill me with your spirit today, that you'd live your life in me and through me, especially in when it comes to self-control and my time management, those days, those weeks are so much more effective, so much more focused than when I just kind of neglect it and go on and go through the motions. So that's just one practical way for me with self-control. How about for you? Is there someone in your life that's really difficult to love? Uh, Is there someone, or is there an area of your life where you're really not experiencing peace? Might be you've got some financial challenges going on or something going on hard with uh, the family and you're really not experiencing the peace of God. If you're not, let that be a dashboard warning light that maybe you're not walking in the Spirit in it. 
Because the reality is, on this side of heaven, we're going to have tribulation. We're going to have trouble. So not if it comes, when it comes, and you're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit in it, I think it's God's Spirit trying to get a hold of your heart to say, I'm here. I dwell in you, and I'm here to be the supernatural power source in your life to give you guidance, to give you love, to give you joy. Allow me to do that. That's awesome. That's the supernatural Christian life. Unfortunately, what happens to us, we put our faith in Christ, and for some reason we start to get back into the legalism. You you experienced that? I have. I start to try to do the things that I think will get me closer to God. It's the try harder faith. If I just tried harder, then I'd really experience the abundant life. And I'm here to tell you this sermon is all about, this is not about trying harder. This is about surrendering to the fact that you can't get more godly by trying harder. We experience God's godliness, God's fruit, by abiding in Christ and allowing his spirit to live his life in us and through us. Empower God. I'm here and I'm ready to empower you. I want to live my life through you. That's the great news of the spirit-filled life. So, for all of us, uh, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, whether you're a, a devotee, and you're seeing this to some extent already, or maybe you're a person struggling in your relationship with God, maybe experience this abundant life that you hear Scripture talk about, or here checking out what this Christianity thing is all about. You've never really put your faith in Christ. But the are obviously kind of the same, right? What God says is true of us is the truest thing about us. Believing it, just putting our faith in that and surrendering to the supernatural power to grow us in that. Now we do these spiritual discipline things like coming to church, being involved in community, whether it be in a life group or some other smaller group community, spending time alone with God in prayer and reading his word. Those are awesome spiritual disciplines. But they're not the one that... That's the incubator to allow God's Spirit to grow us. And we do those things not to earn our way and grow our way to try harder towards God. We do those things to slow down and hear from Him so that He can do His work in us and through us. So in my life, when I get away from doing those things, maybe I don't do the life group thing because I've done them so many times I just need a break, or I slip away from spending time alone with Him in prayer, that's when I end up walking in the flesh and living in my own strength, my own power. I do those things so that I have fertile soil for hearing him and him growing in me and flourishing in me. So that's the message to us who are believers. For the person who's never put their faith in Christ, the first question is, what are you waiting for? This is an awesome Christian life. The truth is, God loves you. He wants a personal relationship with you. He wants to give you this fruit that I've been talking about. What's not to like about that dynamic, abundant life he's called it to? Yeah, we may go through seasons where we're not experiencing it fully, but he demonstrated his love toward you and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And he wants you to experience that abundant life and he's got an inheritance reserved in heaven waiting for you. 
And so if you've never put your faith in Christ, maybe today's the day. So will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you for the good news from your word, the good news of the gospel, the gospel of our salvation. I thank you that as believers in Christ that you have given us your spirit to dwell in us, that you've sealed us in the spirit as a pledge of our inheritance. And I thank you that um, you desire to grow us to full maturity and godliness, not by us working harder, trying harder, but by your spirit reigning in us as we surrender to you and allow you to. I know that you're speaking, Lord. May we have ears to hear. And if you're an individual that is here just checking out this faith and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm just going to lead you through a prayer that you can do on your own silently. It goes something like this. The words aren't so magical. It's just an attitude of your heart. Lord Jesus, I need you. I agree that you have a plan for my life and you desire a relationship with me and I agree that I have sinned against you. And I need Jesus Christ's death on the cross for my sins. I now, by, his act, by an act of faith, put my trust in what Jesus did on the cross for my sins. Now come into my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.